On today's episode of the Run Through Podcast, we will run through all of the World Athletics Championship action to this point in time, as well as talk about some of the controversies and narratives coming out from it. But welcome back. Without further ado, let's get out. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Running Through It podcast. Let me dust some of that dust off the microphone, right? You dust dust, I think. This thing's already off the rails. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am Justin Horniker coming at you with another Running Through It podcast episode. Today, we're going to talk about the World Championships. So far, anyway, I want to go through the finals that have happened so far, talk about some of the main storylines, just general excitement that I'm feeling. I haven't had this much fun watching track and field since the Olympics, I guess you would say. Every time I'm out, they pull me right back in. This has been some fantastic competition, some fantastic running, and I don't want to waste too much time before I really get into it. I'm happy to be back podcasting, something I'm going to be doing a little bit more frequently. I have been a lot busier lately with some of my projects outside of the podcast with my work and everything that comes along with that, but I have freed up some time in my schedule to get back to some reporting, get back to some recording, and I'm excited to be doing a little bit more with y'all here going forward. So come along with the journey. But let's get into these World Athletic Championships, of course. Eugene looks great. I know there were some concerns about whether it'd be packed, some concerns about what the crowd might look like after what USATFs and what Prefontaine have looked like so far this year. But the crowd's been great. It's been unseasonably warm up in Eugene, but the crowd's been out there and it's been a fantastic time. I loved hearing a full crowd for a stadium for an athletics event. And I think you hear some of that in the sentiments from the athletes as well with a few of them saying, quote, it sounds like a real sport, which I thought was hilarious. But uh, hopefully you want to say that too much going forward, right? Because Sebco is going to crack the American market. He said it. He's going to do it. So without further ado, let's get into these World Athletic Finals a bit. Just to give you an idea of the structure of today's podcast, we're going to go through the finals, then I want to talk about some of the larger narratives that I have here so far. On Thursday, July 21st, if you're listening to this after the 200-meter finals this evening, going to be a little bit outdated, but those are some races that I'm really looking forward to. The last couple days of these finals, some of the most anticipated races for for me, so... We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go forward, but let's kick things off with the first final of the week, the 4x4 mixed relay, which saw the Americans getting third, Allison Felix coming home with her final medal in her final competition. The emotion on her face makes everything worth it. This is actually a really close race with the uh, Dominican Republic team winning in 309.82, the Netherlands just edging out the U.S. in 309.90 and our U.S. team, of course, in 310.16. This is a race that saw the U.S. winning for a lot and kind of, you know, really fading down the home stretch. Maybe makes you wonder why we decided our relay team the way that we did in terms of how we organized the legs. I don't know. I don't know what you do different because... In my mind, I always want to end with my 
fastest athlete. But if you know that's my male leg and everyone else is going with their female leg, then you're going to come in a little bit behind and have to catch up a lot of ground, which has its own disadvantages too. I don't know how you really fix that, and I'm also not the coach, so I'm not going to <laughs> come out with a plan necessarily, but I'm left with some questions on just like how they organize those legs. And maybe if someone knows this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I wasn't able to find any sort of like rules as to how you needed to go about your legs. Like for me, I would put my men's leg first, my fast men's leg as my anchor, my two females in the middle, and like yeah, maybe that leads to some weird matchups down the stretch, but I think if you have, you know, Allison Felix as your third leg, handing it off in a pretty good position still with your fastest men's 400 meter athlete that you have and that's really able to pick up some ground. Like, I don't think that's a bad idea, but maybe with everyone else, pretty much everyone, let me go through these results here real quick, just to double check. But when I was watching, it did seem like everyone was, yeah, everyone finished off with their female leg. There were some differences with like two and three as far as like female to male ratio. So I don't think there was like a actual like mandated male, female, male, female type of thing. But it's all part of the strategy. That's why I love the mix four by four relay. Like it's an event that I wasn't necessarily sure about when they instituted it. But the strategy involved is as much as we love the strategies with especially with the four by one coming up at the end of the meet, that'll be something, you know, fantastic. The strategy with the mixed four by four. It's an event that I'm glad is here to stay and I love it. So moving on to day two, this is where we get into some of the no more meat and potatoes of the start of this meet. Uh, in the morning session. You have big finals such as the hammer throw as well as the 10K on the women's side. That saw Ledison Beck today winning with a world-leading 30.09. Helen O'Beary and Kip Kemboy right there with her, uh, just edging out a charging Stefanasan who had a really interesting race, I thought, especially as someone who hasn't been racing a lot this year. If you're unfamiliar, this Stefanasan's like first series of races she raced a kind of time trial race earlier this month and hasn't done much outside the olympics obviously has been training but i think all of the stress and just general training load like she needed some time off after tokyo and you know kind of a slower build up getting back into it like maybe if she's a little bit sharper She's able to charge a little bit earlier in this 10K. Like I think her racing plan was just a little bit off with how long she stayed in the main pack before like making her move and not being up in front. Like you're, you watch Stefana San racing, and I think she makes that move a little bit sooner if she's sharper. But it was a fantastic race all around and came down to like a photo finish, which you never see in a woman's 10K. So just if this is how... We're starting things off. We're kicking things off with this race. It's going to be a good world athletics. And you'll see as we go through the other finals just how good it's been. And that also saw American Chris Schweitzer with a 30-second PR finishing 9-30-18-05. Alicia Monson, Natasha Rogers both had pretty good races as well. So just a good night in general. I think the, the weather was about perfect for it. Not as hot as it's been later in the week but that hasn't seemed to affect the times too much, maybe outside that 5K, those 5K heats yesterday. 
So moving on to the next final, which of course we had the afternoon session. You had finals of the men's long jump and the men's shot put. You had heats of the men's 1500, heats of the semifinals of the women's 1500, and then the final of the men's 100. So looking at that long jump real quick, you had Jian Yan Wang from China winning, which was a bit of an upset. Tintang Liu from Greece getting second. Uh, Ehammer from Switzerland getting third. You had the Cuban Maso. And then the Americans, Dendi and McCarter in fifth and sixth. So maybe a little bit of kind of what you expect there with the long jump. Not the Americans' strongest event right now. That being said, let's move into one of the Americans' strongest events, which was the men's 100 as Fred Curley would win with a 9.86, followed closely by Marvin Bracey and Trayvon Bromwell in 9.88. Both of them. You know, coming down to that photo finish to decide who got silver and who got bronze. This is an event that I will talk a little bit later in the larger running through podcast, which of course will be in my Instagram bio. If you're watching this on Instagram, you can find it running through a podcast and all your, your great podcast feeds. If you're watching the preview, if you're already in, we're going to talk about this a little later in the episode because there's a bit of a narrative that kind of comes from this race and the team involved and one of the coaches involved. A little bit of a spoiler. Of course, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably have a good idea what I'm going to talk about. But let's move on. I want to get the results out of the way first before we talk about the larger narratives. So, of course, just a fantastic day for the Americans. Christian Coleman running 10.01, finishing sixth. Oblique Seville of Jamaica running 9.97 and getting fourth place. Like you're breaking 10, and that's not even getting you on the podium. This is a fantastic, like, just series of races you essentially needed to break 10 to get into the final which is just unheard of it's a fast track is what you're seeing from all this and uh so that was the end of day two moving on to day three you had finals in the hammer throw you had final in the men's marathon which again american marathoning is in a weird place right now especially on the men's side when you had the top finisher being Galen Rupp, who ran 209.36, finishing 19th. Like, I don't know. I felt like American marathoning was on such a good trajectory for so long. And then not that the World Championship Marathon is ever something that a lot of people have taken seriously. But Tim Ratola had a pretty good race, finishing in 205.36 for a championship record. Followed by Garamu, who we talked about before from Ethiopia, and Bashir Abdi from Belgium finishing third. But, you know, who did have a good day? The Americans may not have, but Cam Levins finishing fourth and was like in the thick of it for a long time. Canadian national record, 207.09. You'll love to see that from Cam, like a guy that has just worked so hard throughout his collegiate career, throughout his Canadian running career, and has just stayed on, like hasn't gone away especially with his kind of high mileage work in college. You figure those guys maybe have a short span afterwards and like he's bounced around coaches, but he's really found his niche in marathoning and especially with this current setup that he has. It's awesome to see him like finally get to this point where you're setting the national record, but also you're in the mix for a podium spot on the world stage. Like that's just incredible. Moving on to the evening session, which was The busiest day so far that we've talked about and, you know, the busiest day until the end of the World Championships, really, saw the finals of the pole vault, the shot put on the men's side, 
and the 110 hurdles and the women's 100 meters. So looking at that men's 10K, you had Joshua Teptegei winning the thing at 27-27. This thing came down to a sprint as well. Like both 10Ks came down to an all-out sprint at the end that saw Teptegei, who is just, we all know that Teptegei is just a force. I can't bet against him. He just does not lose on these big stages. Running 27-27.43, that extra 10th isn't important in this 10K, which you don't usually think. Stanley and Buru finishing second, 27-27.9. And Jacob Kiblimo, also of Uganda, finishing 27-27.97. That's important because in fourth, the American Grant Fisher, oh, so close. That hurt so much when he was charging all the way, running 27-28.14. Just beating out Suleiman Berega, 27-28.39. And Mohamed Ahmed was also right there. The Canadian, 27-30.27. And these are all, you know, pretty quick championship races as well. It's not like, I think, you know, talk about the difference between like men's championship race and women's championship races. And a lot of times it seems like the women are so much more apt to take things out. And the men kind of have some pedestrian starts but this thing was still pretty quick although it was very much bunched together um we'll shout out joe clicker as well finishing in 27 38 there for ninth place it's been a good been a good week for us u.s track fans we'll move on to the pole vault which saw katie nugget finishing 4.85 meters tied with sammy morris winning on the jump off but two Americans, again, on the podium. You'll love to see it with Nina Kennedy, the Aussie, finishing third. Moving on to the shot put, Ryan Krauser just <laughs> setting a championship record. Like, all he does, all this man does is eat, sleep, and break records. Throwing for 22.94 meters. Uh, however, there's an American sweep on the shot put where Joe Kovacs also had a fantastic day throwing 22.89 and then finally Josh Owatundi 22.29 to really round off the podium but man just a fantastic day from the Americans on the shot put as well Ryan Krauser we don't talk nearly enough about how just a complete dominating force he is I mean we do we talk about it a lot but we still don't talk about it nearly enough moving on to the next final the 110 meter hurdles this is one I wrote a little bit about it. If you are watching this on Instagram, if you're following me, you probably saw my piece about it. But man, this one hurt. It was really <laughs> going down to it. You only have five results because you had a DQ and you had two uh, DQs on the starts. Starts off with Hansley Parchment, the Jamaican, probably a favorite for the medal between the three Americans and Parchment. He false starts. So that, it was a pretty blatant false start. You maybe would hope that it comes down to the racing and not the starts. You could feel the crowd getting a little bit anxious on that first false start. And like, yeah, Parchman definitely stepped too quick. But you could just tell that like this Eugene crowd knew that the starting blocks had been an issue pretty much all year long with the new Hayward setup. And they swear that there isn't anything wrong with the blocks there's anything wrong with the timing but when you look at the data and i'll post this in the show notes because i thought this was very interesting 
the data of this world championships versus like every other world champion Olympic event, the reaction times are so quick in how they're being measured. And you know, maybe that's something just circumstantial. And with all of the variables, it's going to be impossible to really glean anything from this. But when you take that data with the fact that Devin Allen had a .101 start in the semifinal. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, essentially anything under a .1 reaction is an automatic disqualification. It's an automatic false start because they figured that with the delay in reaction time between the pull of the trigger and the time that you hear it as an athlete, anything under that .1 is going to be anticipation versus reaction. Now, scientifically, that's a little bit murky, which I'll get into here in a little bit. But just for your basis of understanding, anything under that point one, the World Athletics Code sees as a false start. So Devin Allen had a point one oh one start in the semifinal, and people have been having fast starts all games long. So on your marks, get set, gun goes off, gun goes off again. Another false start. And <laughs> the crowd is maybe starting to be a little bit. You see Grant Holloway like shaking his head. And initially, the way that's framed, you think that Grant Holloway false starts. But then they're pointing to Devin Allen. The official says, I'm sorry to Devin Allen as he escorts him off the track. You see Devin like looking at the screen or they're going to show him the false start. And when you're watching it, nothing happens. There is no false start. It's a 0.99 reaction time. So it's just arbitrary. That's the number that we've given for the false start. <laughs> like when you hear the reaction, and maybe I'll splice that in here. When you hear that reaction of the crowd, like realizing that not only is it another false start, but it's also Devin Allen, who is like Eugene royalty at this point. It was quite the moment, maybe the moment of the meet so far for me, although this has been, there have been plenty of moments. Um, so let's talk about why 0.01 is the false start standard. Over time, standards have changed. And as quit equipment becomes more sophisticated, we're able to get a more precise reading. We have changed our understanding of what a false start is. However, somewhere along the line, we've stopped adjusting for new science and new equipment because there was a report that IAAF at the time even posted the conclusion, the findings on their website that realistically humans reaction time is going to be anywhere from 0.08 to 0.15 for an elite level athlete. That is what we can scientifically measure. Reaction time is one of those things where there is a human limit of what can be achieved. It's not like running where we're constantly getting better and better. It's not like strength. It's not like quickness. It's actually scientifically provable that 0.08 is the far reaches of our reaction time. But that means that a 0.08 reaction can happen a natural reaction where you're just reacting to the sound of the gun. You're not anticipating the gun. But in World Athletics' eyes, anything in that 0.08 to 0.099 zone is a false start. 
And I have an issue with this big time because, like I said, there have been definitive research that we've known about since 2009 that it's possible. But World Athletics says in their press release that based in science, point one is their arbitrary limit. Whatever. My issue is that not only is that just false and gaslighting the distance fan or the track and field fan, but it's just blatantly false and not just blatantly false but the officials also wouldn't let Devin Allen run under protest which should have been allowed when you figure that they've been having issues with the starting equipment point one versus a point oh nine nine is such a minuscule amount of time that you know if you could go back and watch it again you know measure it again maybe there's an off chance that that point oh nine nine is rounded down or there's there's some miscue there in the way that it timed it like that should be within the standard deviation of when you allow someone to run anyway and and go back in now it's maybe like a little bit of a downer moment Devin Allen goes in finishes in a metal spot beats Grant Holloway maybe like those two have been rolling that was gonna be such a good showdown we haven't even talked about I guess what the final was so Devin Allen Unfortunately, as he went off the track, false start, crowd boos, everyone's upset about it. Um, it ends up being American 1C with Grant Halley finishing in 13.03, Trey Cunningham right behind him in 13.08, and Agier Martinez of Spain finishing at 13.17. Like, Devin Allen, or Hansley Parchment for that matter, both of them probably lose out on their potential podium spot because of this starting line debacle uh you know i'm not gonna say like it's definitively the technology that's wrong or whatever like i'm sure that devin allen really did have a 0.099 reaction time but it's just like that shouldn't be the issue 0.09 should be something that we allow to happen in today's day and age of our sport knowing what we've known for over a decade now that's my piece (laughs) let's settle in let's take a break for a moment and let's move on all right, so with my 110 hurdle Devin Allen rant out of the way, let's move into the 100 meter. On the women's side, you see the timeless Shelly and Fraser Price racing against Shrika Jan- Jackson, Elaine Thompson, hurrah, Dina Asher Smith, Aaliyah Hobbs. This is like a real star studded 100 meter final that ultimately sees another in the line of great Jamaican performances as there is a Jamaican sweep on the podium. Lane Thompson, hurrah, comes in third in 10.081, which was maybe the upset for me. I thought that ETH was probably the favorite here, but Sharika Jackson coming in second with a personal best 10.73, and Shelly Ann Frazier Prize with a championship record in 10.67. Shelly Ann, she said that, I think in like 2019, that she wasn't going to run another world championships, and here she is, and I doubt that she is going to retire i really do like this is someone who still looks like they're having tons of fun with the sport still is just at the top of the field elite upon elite is not slowing down at all like that's someone i think will be around for the next olympics like that would be the ultimate send-off i think if you're someone of the caliber of shelly and fraser price i think you always want to go out at the olympics versus at the world championship so that'll be something to really look forward to over the next few years and really keep an eye on on you know 
what does Shelly Ann Fraser Price's ultimate career look like? I mean, she doesn't need any more accolades, obviously. Like, there's nothing that I think she would be shooting for as far as like ultimate accolades. But when you're still having fun in the sport, you're still winning world championships and you're still making good amount of money for a track athlete doing what you love like i don't know why you necessarily leave at this point in time unless it's just not unless the daily grind of it is just getting to you but she is someone who from her the way she looks when she's racing and in the in the post event scrums and the way she talks about it the sport in general like i really don't see her leaving it anytime soon so with that all the way, let's move on to day four. Got a couple more finals starting to slow down a little bit. Um, this will be the final day with a morning and an afternoon session until this weekend. Uh, in the morning session, you had the women's marathon. Women's marathon saw Gatem Garrislassi win in a course record, a championship record of 218.11, followed closely by Judith Jeptum career, and then rounding out the podium was Israeli Alona Salpeter, who we've seen be very quick, very up in the mix before. Um, shout out to the American Sarah Hall finishing in fifth, Emma Bates finishing in seventh, and Kiara D'Amato finishing in eighth. This was kind of what really drew me into the marathon, is just seeing not just those three kind of work together and run together. Sarah Hall being a timeless wonder, but just seeing the joy on their faces as they all finish in the top eight and have that nice embrace at the end. Uh, looking at the actual race, like Gebra Selassie had the perfect race plan, I would say. Like, I don't know, it never really felt in doubt. And even though career still kept it close, like she always looked like it was going to be down to her. And, you know, if she, if she doesn't win, maybe I'm saying something differently, but... It was a fantastic race, and when I watch races like that, especially in the 10K and the marathon and the steeple and the 5K, I'm always looking at like race strategy. Like, what do you do on these races where you, know, you are packed up for so long? When do you make that move? When do you kind of try to assert your dominance on the race? And that was just kind of like a textbook. So moving on to the high jump, you saw a top three of the Ukrainian Andriy Pratsenko finishing third with a 2.33 meter jump. You saw... Korean Sang Yak Woo finishing second with a 2.35. And then finally, Katari Mataz Asa Barshim finishing a 2.37 meter jump, which I believe that's a repeat for him. And he was definitely the favorite going in as far as who's going to win. Uh, Andre Pratsenko, of course, him and Barsham had that moment at Tokyo that went viral where they were both having to jump off and asked if they wanted to share the gold. Um, all right, so moving on to the next final, the 3K steeple final. This was quite the race also. I Maybe I need to start calling th- stop calling things quite the race because every race has been, you know, pretty fantastic. Like, even the races that were, there haven't really been any, like, runaway wins this entire world championships. And even the races where it was, like, a dominant performance, it was a dominant performance that made you kind of go, wow. Um, but ultimately, Moroccan Sufayn Al-Bakali pulls out the victory, 823, 825.13. Um, the storylines of this race obviously being Evan Jaeger 
getting back into the final and being in the mix for a lot of this race, finishing at 829.08, like he wasn't in that final group unless he would have made a move like on that back stretch. That's where he needed to do it. But he was always in contact. And I think that for someone who has fought really hard to get back to this point, to be able to compete and get back healthy and get back into like a strong training block, seeing Evan be able to do that is just fantastic. So, of course, Elbakali with the win, just outracing everyone because she had uh, Ethiopian Kenyan showdown. And then Elbakali is just kind of sitting back there, binding his time, and then does his classic move. Comes off the water jump cleanly when Girma and Wale both kind of have rough water jumps at the end there and is able to just kind of power around them and beat them by a second when they're bunched up with 120 left. So Lameka Girma comes in second, Consuelas Kipruda comes in third to round out the podium, and of course Evan Jager in sixth, Hilary Bohr in eighth. That you know, is the American contingent. But, you know, if you have an opportunity to rewatch this race, I would. It's just one of those, like, great tactical performances. And speaking of great tactical performances, we move on to the 1500 women's race, which <laughs> went out at, like, I think they went out in a 55. Let me, uh, let me find the splits here. Here we go. So, yeah, in the first 400, okay, I had him a little bit quicker. But in the first 400th, Sagai coming in a 58, which like for a women's 1500, that's that's 350, three on, I say 352 pace. <laughs> it's unreal. Like I think it's more like a 354. But they were not messing around. Sagai was leading with Kip Yegan from the get-go. They were just pushing each other and pushing each other. Laura Muir and Mashisha. We're right there as well from the get-go. So you had these four kind of out with it. And that was your pack for this entire thing. Um Sophia and Oweo, Sinclair Johnson, Jessica Hall, they were able to, you know, kind of reel some of that back after Halu kind of fell off a bit from that main pack. But you ended with Lormir, Sege, and Kipyagan in kind of a top three. And just watching, you know, who was going to make their move when and the separation from the rest of the pack. It was a phenomenal race. And they just went like the way that they just went to the to the danger zone so quickly. And Kipyagon being able to separate at an already quick pace and seeing Laura Mira be able to stick with them. That was fantastic. So just a, just an all around race. Again, if you're going to rewatch any race, I would pick that one. Just rewatch the entire thing if you haven't yet. I mean, come on, guys. What are we doing? Um, moving on to the next day. This is where we slow down a little bit. We have the men's 1,500-meter final in the men's 400-meter hurdles. So this would have been two days ago. This went on Tuesday. In the men's 1,500-meter final, you had the upset upon upsets of this world championship so far. Where you had Jake Whiteman kind of... This was an interesting race, and everyone was all bunched up but it was still a fast race like it wasn't like a championship 1500 meter where the times are slow so someone can kind of come out of nowhere with a good kick with a good final lap and just you know put themselves in position this is like you know jake whiteman had to stay in contact when they're on 330 pace like that's definitely not as easy of a race so 
Jake Whiteman's able to kind of separate himself as Ingridson and Katir. Cherio Kipsing. I guess if, you know, if we're going through the early portion of that race, Cherio Kipsing, Ingridson are kind of really jockeying for dominance, for position. Ingridson had kind of been the, the favorite to really run away with this race. And then people were not just challenging him, but no one is really pulling away. And then you look at the time and you're like, wow, they're, everyone in this race is moving at a speed. Uh, Josh Kerr also looked really good. Mohamed Katir, Mario Garcia, both looked fantastic in this race as well. And both of them looked like they could win at any moment. That's maybe what was the most surprising part is like almost everyone in this race to a man ran a season best or a personal best. But even in that, where you're running at this ridiculous speed it still looked like any one of them could win this race it was anyone's race coming down the home stretch to the point where you have abel kipsing and timothy cherio not even finishing on the podium and i guess that's burying the lead a little bit but <laughs> first place jake whiteman getting the gold silver goes to yaka bingeritsen and muhammad katir from spain getting that third podium spot so one of the upsets probably the upset of the game the biggest upset that i've had in a while watching this sport and just fantastic moving on to the 400 meter hurdle you had a championship record from allison dos santos who beats out right benjamin and trevor bassett in their rematch uh allison dos santos setting a championship record in 46.29 really separating himself from right benjamin who also had a season best of 46.89 and Trevor Bassett with a personal best of 47.39, just edging out Wilfred Hepio from France, who ran 47.41. Another one of those things were like, Ry Benjamin's probably a little bit disappointed not getting gold, but how disappointed can you be when you're still running your best time of the season? You know, you're peaking at the right time. Everything is, everything else is going well for you. You just were beat by someone better than you. I don't think that, like that's probably a tough pill to swallow when you're someone when you're an athlete of Rye Benjamin's caliber, but just getting there's nothing wrong with getting beat by someone who's just faster than you. You know you can overanalyze it all you want, but you're not going to find much that you could have done different. Like Rye Benjamin ran a great race. There's nothing I can really point to that's the reason why he lost Allison Dos Santos. He just was slower than him. <laughs> it sounds simple when you put track like that, but uh, it was. Was so the only final left to talk about is yesterday, which would have been a Wednesday if you're listening to this 3000 meter steeple on the women's side. Again, another fantastic race that saw Nora Gerudo from Kazakhstan winning in a championship record 853.02. This is another one where you're looking at it and you're like, wow, someone's going to fall off. I think I even tweeted it, someone's gonna blow up. And they really did it. <laughs> so championship record for Gerudo, 8.53.02. Uh, Orkua Gitachu ran 8.54.61, which is an Ethiopian national record. Makidis Abibe, also of Ethiopia, running 8.56.08 for a personal best. And you have someone running 9.01.31 and not even making the podium. Like <laughs> This was an insane race. You have to run 8.56 to get third. Courtney Freerix runs a 9-10-59, which, you know, is maybe not where she wanted to be, but that's her best on the season. Emma Coburn maybe would be your disappointment here. She was up with the leaders, but I just don't know if 
you're necessarily ready for that in a championship race. I mean, maybe you should be. Maybe that's me saying a lack of preparation kind of thing. But I don't know if Emma has 853 in her right now. I don't know if she has 856 in her right now. Like, if she runs her race and runs 903, 902, 901, 9 flat, maybe she breaks 9, she still isn't getting on the podium when you have those three running as well as they did. And, like, having pretty good form down the backstretch, you know, what we what do we always talk about with some of the faster runners in the steeplechase is that they're if they would ever get their barrier form and their steeple form to the level that some of the American steeplers have for a long time, it's a whole different sport. And what you saw from Nora Gerudo, especially on the final couple of laps with her water jump, was absolutely perfect. And that is something that is a little bit scary for an American steeplechase fan. I've got to say, it's a little bit scary of a thought, but I'm happy to see the steeplechase kind of be in a little bit better spot than it was even a decade ago, where it's not the weak link in the distance world anymore. It's a very fast event that requires a lot of technical skill on top of just being good. And it's why it's always been one of my favorite events. But seeing Nora Gerudo, who wasn't able to run at Tokyo because she was completing her one-time switch to Kazakhstan, as her eligibility goes, was able to come out, beat the championship record, and just all the joy in the world on her face as she finishes. You you just love to see it. Before we move into the Rainer Raider, Tumbleweed Track Club, all that sort of nonsense, I do need to talk a little bit about what exactly happened in the 800-meter heats yesterday. Like, I'm still in a little bit of disbelief that we are sitting in the World Championships in 2022, and there are no Americans in the semifinal of the 800. Not in the final, not even in the semifinal. Yesterday's seats were a complete disaster, and you know it really does come down to like <laughs> free cap and stands. Like, I guess the first thing to say is I've rarely seen Donovan Brazier be so boxed in in a race and i think initial decision making like he's usually someone that just races so savvy so smartly and there's just something going on that he just didn't look right and maybe that's it too maybe it's you know not having raced a lot recently coming back from injury and he's just not 100 yet but then you look at bryce hopple's race and hopple was involved in he was kind of in a crash like behind and had to jostle around had to do a lot of maneuvering to get out of the way and not fall down and i think that when that happens so early in the race because this happened probably about 150 meters in when that happens so early in the race you either see the athlete kind of overcompensate and sprint to the front or it can take it out of you because it's this real burst of adrenaline i've had this in races before it's this real burst of adrenaline and it either like really motivates you to, to have the race of your life or it takes it out of you. And, you know, there's no controlling how your body responds to that. And I think that Bryce, not just because of the time lost, because of the fall, because of the altercation, but then his inability to kind of get back into a good spot between him, Brandon Miller and Donovan Brazier, like at least two of those three should have been through. And then you had Jonah Koach, who actually did 
win his heat and looked real good. But was determined to impede a runner. And you look at his heat. I think it was McDonald. Um, let's see. But it was determined that he impeded his runner like early on in the race. Maybe Mark English. Andreas Kramer? Yeah, I think he impeded Andreas Kramer early on. And that's kind of what they decided was enough for the DQ, which to me didn't quite seem like enough, especially when in the earlier races we had like that same level of pushing between McBride and the rest of the field and Hopple, especially who got you know knocked back because of it. I don't know. It's a bit of a disaster. I don't want to be too hard. Like, shit happens. We have bad performances, but it's just hard to stomach as an American track fan that there are no 800 men's athletes in the semifinal, at least. So, anyway, that's enough track. In about 90 minutes, we'll be kicking off tonight's night of action. So, I don't want to spend too much time so we can get this podcast up before day seven starts but we do need to talk a little bit about Rainer Raider and why there's some controversy right now and if you haven't been following and I haven't put out a podcast in a while so I haven't talked about this publicly but Rainer Ryder have been under safe sport investigation for alleged sexual misconduct with an athlete Again, those allegations are sealed up because it's an ongoing investigation. But we do know that he was also under investigation by UK Athletics in 2014 for a relationship he had with an 18-year-old British athlete. He was also questioned by the Dutch Association before he went on to work for them about this incident. It was apparently very well known between the team, and that's how it became open and out available to the public eventually. But because of all this, he wasn't granted accreditation for the championships. And like, say what you will about the ongoing investigation. I don't want to really get into the business of saying whether he's guilty or not. Like, you all know my feeling about predators and how they always end up being in positions of power. And there's just this, like, I don't know if it's coaching in general. Like the people that, you know, have to be successful in coaching that have this kind of like need for control that just puts you in a prime position of if you are already a predator, now you are in this position to use your power to get what you want for lack of a more sophisticated word. So without going into all that and, you know, making things personal, the important thing is that Randa Raider snuck onto the track uh, during training and kind of going through the run-up to the 100-meter final. Of course, the 100-meter final, as we talked about earlier, Trayvon Bromel is one of his athletes. He also used to coach Andre de Grasse, uh, coached some British athletes who were told to kind of you know, disassociate with him. Uh, Marvin Bracey, the silver medalist as well, from the 100-meter. So, he has two athletes that would go on to medal, go on to be on the podium, Trayvon Bromel and Marvin Bracey. However, because he didn't have accreditations, he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been anywhere near Hayward, but he was able to sneak onto the field in some way, shape, or form. 
He was warned by security after it was pointed out that he was an unaccredited person in a only authorized personnel area. He was escorted out by security and then he was found to be on the campus again. So he was you know, on the Hayward Field campus. It doesn't specify where, but from where Sean Engel found him later on, he was you know back in the warm-up track along the fence in the official warm-up area where you know he's also not supposed to be. So he was warned twice and told that if he would return to the venue, he'd be arrested for trespassing. So, of course, there's no official police record of this. I looked. I tried to find it. But the important thing is that when you're under safe sport investigation, if you are specifically you know ruled to not have to be in a certain area, and this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit hazy because Raider Raider did have accreditation for USATF's, but because World Athletics has a much much stricter guideline when it comes to like safe sport allegations. Does that mean that Safe Sport would view this as a violation during the investigation? You know, this is where it gets tricky because if that is, then not just is he going to be under investigation for the initial allegations, but he would also potentially have mitigating circumstances where he could receive a stiffer penalty or even a different penalty for being in the facility when he was supposed to be barred from it. That's a lot of trouble for someone who claims his innocence that even if you were these allegations, if they were unfounded, now you have yourself in trouble that you would have otherwise not been in. And people are going to come at me saying that Safe Sport is a kangaroo court. I had that on Twitter, so that was fun. Uh, but Safe Sport is important. And it's important that these guidelines are in place because how many coaches do we know that use their power to their advantage that are predators and you see this behavior this inability to be told no and it just points to that pattern of behavior that you know he felt so entitled as someone who views himself as an important player and he is he is an important player he's the coach of olympic medalists of world champions of gold medalists and you know when you we saw that with alberto salazar when you start to like view yourself in this hallowed halls of bigger than the sport any sort of we see this with Jane Aiden too any sort of punishment that comes down to you it's almost like non-existent in your world because you view yourself as bigger than the federation so what can you even do for people like this that are so selfish in their view of like how important they are to the sport Anyway, so that'll keep you abreast of the Raina Radar situation. If anything else happens, of course, I will update you. But this has been a good pod. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be talking into this microphone and have a little bit more time here in the future to be podcasting more, ideally weekly, ideally maybe even some bonus episodes here and there. But I don't want to commit to anything before I have a nice routine down. It was good to shake off the cobwebs. It's like riding a bike, right? You just start talking and everything just flows through you. If you want to hear my voice, of course, you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, at HornikerJustin, on TikTok, at JustinHorniker. Follow the YouTube page, Run Through It Pod, if you want to see some video versions to this audio. And as always, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, subscribe. 
Leave me a rating on whatever your pod listening device is. Those ratings always help. Just put me in the sports and recreation charts. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, let's enjoy the rest of these world championships. I'll come back to you after the finish of the final day, unless something momentous happens in the meantime. But until then, we'll talk soon.